I picked this up along the way somewhere that there's three clients on every project. There's the client who pays you, there's a client inside you, hmm. and then there's the client you'll never meet. Hmm. And I think it's the one you'll never meet that is, comes closest to this idea of a voice of a project. Hey, hello, and welcome to Architecting. So this is a podcast about the lives of architects, uh, about the people and the stories behind the buildings and the images that we see. And with this very international world that we live in, the show will purposely be local and narrow, only focusing on the Colorado community of designers. I'm the host, Adam Wagner. I'm a Denver-based architect. I'm married to an architect. I have two architecture degrees and I've worked for a dozen different architecture firms in three different countries. But for the last five years, I've been rooted in Denver where I'm at Open Studio Architecture and I teach at the University of Colorado Denver. I like connecting with other architects and learning from their experiences. So now I'm broadcasting these stories with the goal of creating a stronger local community. And that brings us to today, with our, our interview today, uh, with a person I feel very honored to call a friend and a mentor, Joseph Monteplano. So Joseph is another person I reached out to early uh, when I moved to Denver. He didn't have a job for me at the time, but was gracious enough to connect me with, with a number of different architects, uh, one of which was Blake Moyer who years later is, is now my boss. Um, and he's also been just gracious to continue meeting with me over these years for lunches and coffees and sitting on multiple juries for different studios that I've taught. So Joseph and his wife, Deva, and their firm Studio Trope are pretty interesting to me, um, especially for this idea of community that they, they cultivate um, from the the patio parties that they throw at their office with live music to their their thoughtful and meaningful approaches to projects and the different kind of aspects of community that, that they build into those projects. So in this in this episode we'll hear about Joseph's beginning and upbringing outside of Chicago and education at the University of Illinois and Arizona State before moving to Colorado. But I, I really think that the aspects of this interview that I enjoyed the most was um, just Joseph's real thoughtfulness in terms of, of his experiences and his influences that, that formed his theories and his understandings of what architecture is and how he tries to implement that into his projects and his work. And look, <laughs> so with this, with this interview, I apologize. There are some technical issues. Uh, Joseph's phone kept falling asleep and his, his daughter was great at helping him out. Um, I also didn't realize it, but I was wearing a, a pretty tall collar on my shirt with a, with a zipper that was hitting the microphone and causing some really noisy, uh, annoying scratch noises. Um, but I, I've thrown that shirt away, so it won't happen again. <laughs> um, other than that, this uh, was a very fun conversation for me, and I hope you enjoy it. Thanks. Hey, hey, Joe, how's it going? Good, how are you? Man, that was the easiest one yet. You must, well, you must have some uh, good, good teenagers helping you out there. <laughs> Let's see. I'll, I'll give away all my secrets. Oh, sorry. 
Although, <laughs> although you are you are rotating ninety degrees on my. Oh, let me let me see if I could probably fix that. There we go. That? That's that nice. Better? Yeah, that's good. Yeah, they set me up with a tripod and everything. Dang. <laughs> it's when it pays to have kids, right? That's right. <laughs> Once they get old enough. <laughs> Go mow the lawn. <laughs> yeah. Uh, nice. You know, I was looking at your space before. So are you at your house here? Mm-hmm. Tell me about what are, what are we seeing back there? I see, I see at least. Uh, you're, you're probably seeing. Oh, the, nice. That's the dining room. Uh, let's see. Family room. Uh, yeah, this is a 1949 mid-mod designed by um, two guys. Actually, um, they went on to do Arapaho Acres. Hmm. Uh, it's Edward Hawkins and Eugene Sternberg. Hmm. This is uh, North Park Hill. There's about 30, 30 of these kind of pocketed in here and a little hidden. Well, it was a secret until now. Uh, yeah, <laughs> we're revealing it. Yeah. Is it kind of a like a courtyard type design or is it? Um, well, we added on to the house. We added oh, okay. the, the piece I'm sitting in now has created a bit of a courtyard feel. Yeah. Uh, but no, it's, it's really got, got quite a story. I went and did a little research about this Eugene Sternberg and found that um, he migrated or immigrated from Poland and taught on the East coast but the the school that he was at, which I want to say was Yale, um, wouldn't allow him to teach and practice at the same time. Hmm. So he came out here, and at that at that time, DU had a college of architecture. Oh, really? So he he taught there, and then when was that? When when did he come out here? Well, this house was done in '49, so I want to say it was like in the '40s and '50s. Okay. Huh. Wow. And so he did he did a series of these then? Yeah, so I think these were the experiments. Uh and then and then they're you know the the gems are out at Rappo Acres. Oh okay. But yeah, a lot of experiment I, like we discovered under slab forced air radiant heating. Really? If that makes sense. Yeah, he laid cinder blocks horizontally, used the cells, lined them up poured the furnace, supplied the hot air into those cells, poured a concrete slab on top of that, south-facing glass. Wow. So it's a passive solar. You know, the sun comes in, heats the slab in the in the day. Right. And then at night, the furnace kicks on and keeps the slab warm overnight. Huh. The furnace doesn't run during the day. It's kind of amazing. Wow. So you've been able to keep it, keep it like that? I mean, keep yeah. that glazing uh, open and, yeah. Well, in fact, that that door, that one there opens up. In fact, both of those open up because sometimes it gets too hot. Oh, in really? The winter. Yeah, because the sun is low in the winter, right? So yeah, it comes in and so it, it works can... too well. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's great to get the fresh air, right? Yeah. Huh. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. I I remember you telling me about some of that stories before, and your kind of research of 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 some of these older architects that have been around Denver and digging into that, but. Um, Cool. I even I even went and found his wife who was still alive, um, up in up in Evergreen and had a chat with her. And that was funny because she could care less about architecture. <laughs> <laughs> I went up there to talk about Eugene and she didn't want to talk about Eugene at all. Right? 
she wanted to talk about her life, which makes sense. That's funny. I, yeah. I thought you were gonna. She was gonna have like critique your your adaptations to her husband's house or something. No, but no, no. She she was like, oh, I'm glad you like the house. Now let's talk about what I'm doing. <laughs> you know, <laughs> perfect woman. Yeah, yeah. And I well, think she kind of ran his practice for him too. He never really fully learned the English language well enough to run a business here and so she was the business side of his practice really yeah that's interesting you know we i i did a i sent you a midnight email last night asking if your if your wife wanted to join this conversation as well and yeah i think we'll have her on a, on a different episode but I, I, I was thinking back to the people i've had on here and it's like of the of the seven i think at least four seems like their wives are running the firm from a business <laughs> point of view. <laughs> and uh, I hadn't really made that connection. Uh, yeah. But yeah. Well, cool. Well, thanks for coming on. Uh, it's good to, good to see you. Yeah, um, great to be here. So yeah, let's start off with this, this awkward question that I, I try, I'm trying to get into a flow <laughs> of things. So what, what, what would your two line bio say? Who are you? Yeah. So thank you for sharing that question with me in advance because it gave me time to think about it. Uh, and what I've come up with is that I am a person of contradiction. Hmm. Uh, I, I'll say one thing and think one thing, and then I'll say and think the exact opposite. Um, I will, I will sort of enjoy pitching a bizarre idea um, just to get the reaction but I'm not one to, you know, I have conviction about my ideas, but I'm not one to force it, you know? <laughs> so I'm easygoing and I'm super serious. Yeah. Um, That's really interesting. So yeah. how, how do you think, how does that, how does that help you? Do you think it helps you be a, a good architect? You think it hurts you? No, I don't think it, I don't know if it makes me a better architect, but I don't think it hurts me. Yeah. Um, I think that, uh, it allows me, I think, to wear multiple hats and to, um, you know, to, to, to probably be a little bit more experimental because I am easygoing. Um, but I, uh, yeah, I, I had a really hard time sort of identifying a short bio and, and it, it just the more I thought about it, I was like, well, well let's see, I'm results oriented. Like I want to get things done. Hmm. But I want to spend as much time thinking about the process, right? Because I'm a firm believer that it's the process that matters, not the product. Um, and so I, I uh, yeah, it's a little bit of everything. Like I'm, I'm a very deliberate person, but I'm also imp improvisational, you know? Hmm. Uh, um, I, I like, I like, I like uh, surprises. I don't like being surprised. <laughs> huh. right? Yeah, it doesn't sound fair. Yeah, uh, I like, I, I really like that answer because I feel like I, I feel that way a lot as well, where I can kind of take on different points of view, and you can kind of switch between them and and try things out, and and when it comes to those contradictions, yeah. Um, well, okay, so so a, a man of contradiction. So how how did you get there? What where'd you grow up and when did that start? 
Yeah, so I grew up uh, in Rockford, Illinois. So this is just on the border with Wisconsin, uh, west of Chicago. Hmm. I would describe it as a very conventional upbringing, a very conventional place. Um, I had a very large Italian family, Montalbanos, right? Uh, hmm. And that, oh, here comes my tech help to save the day. Why did it become dark in here all of a sudden? I have no idea. Oh, there we go. Oh, oh, oh. That's bright. What'd you do? I fixed it. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, so my Italian family really kind of gr grounded me, right? Like, you know, the family unit was a very important thing. And that, I, I still, you know, that's really shaped my life. Um, was it a large family? Like, yeah, mine yeah. personally, no. I just oh, have, okay. a, I have one sibling, um, but the extended family, right? Because both my grandparents uh, came over from Palermo, Italy. Oh. And then and then you can imagine, right? Like it just <laughs> exploded. Um, and a lot of their, you know, siblings came with them and they had huge families. Uh, so yeah, there's, I tell people there's like two smells that I remember from my childhood. <laughs> there's marinara sauce, right? And and there's um, the other one that's, that's really distinguished, distinguishing for me is is the smell of freshly cut wood. Huh. Yeah. So my grandfather, uh, on my mother's side, he um, was a mill worker. He, he basically built windows. Hmm. And when we would go into his shop, that smell, you know that smell I'm talking about? Yeah, like yeah, yeah. Sweet smell of freshly cut, clean wood. Hmm. Or sometimes, like, if the blade was too dull, it's like burning, that burning yeah, wood smell. Right. It's awesome, right? Uh so that I think that kind of shaped my like I just have I've always had like this phenomenological way of like thinking about the world, like the, the senses, you know, the, the the smells and the um thermal qualities and uh I remember as a kid I would build little chipboard models mm, of really? of things. Like I'm not even gonna call it architecture because I didn't know what architecture was at that age. It was just building things and then um, instead of scrapping them, I would burn them. Hmm. Hmm. I think there was something about the smell. It's and, another and, and, smell. And, yeah. Yeah. Like this, the watching that thing sort of disintegrate, um, you know, it got me in trouble a couple of times. You, you uh, were super profound at a young age. Uh, <laughs> bored, bored, maybe. No, right. Yeah. yeah I, I, so what did, what was, what did your parents do? Were they also kind of in a construction type trade or? No, my mother um, was a beautician. Um, you know, she had a, she actually had a salon in our basement of our house. Hmm. Um, Some more my, smells, right? Yeah. Perm. <laughs> yeah. More burning. <laughs> the, the 1980s perm. Um, yeah. Hair burning. Uh, my father was a pharmacist, but he huh. was also a tinkerer. You know, like he, he was always building something. Uh, still is. In fact, he's still, if he doesn't have a project every day when he wakes up, he is bored. <laughs> uh, of having people in the family who had done that, it was more, um, it, you know, it's like I enjoyed science. I, I really enjoyed the, um, you know, scientific 
theory and, 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 and um, discovery, but not enough to become a scientist. Right. right? Yeah. I, I didn't have that intellect. Yeah. And, uh, and I was always very taken by poetry. And yet, I, I don't think I could ever figure out a way to earn a living as a poet, right? So, uh, so there you go. It's like those two things, like, you know, um, that's the, a, a bit of that contradiction again of how do you, how do you blend science with poetry? And I, I feel like that's really what has shaped my, my thinking when it comes to architecture. Yeah. So then, the, so that was pretty clear to you in, in like high school and then going into college? Like, and where you it went. was clear to me. Um, yeah, I would say when I was about 16 or 17, I was lucky enough to get a, so my best friend, well, one of my good friends at the time's father was an architect and had his own practice. So I was one of those lucky people who got to go hang out at an architecture firm at a young age. And, you know, at first it was like taking out the trash or whatever, but um, this firm, it was small um, being from the area, the area of the of the world where we were, it was very much like Frank Lloyd Wright, you know, prairie agrarian yes. architecture. Um, fascinated me, and so that was, I think, my first my first taste. Um, so he, yeah, he put me to work. I, <laughs> then I learned how to draft. Um, then he actually, I think, helped me in a way get into the University of Illinois, which is where I went for my undergraduate. Um, program uh and when i got there this is in champaign the middle of the state when it, my i've got two distinct memories from that place one is studio mm -hmm. i mean i remember when i walked into the studio i felt home like i was at home right like there's something really special about being in this and it was a really crappy room right it's not like it, you know it's probably the worst class space on campus but being around the other students the professors you know being allowed to think and draw all day right like that was just a dream so right so there's the memory of studio and and what that meant to me and then there's and then europe uh, the university of illinois had a program where you would spend your entire junior year overseas and so I, yeah, so I got to spend um, what would have been from like August to May or June um, living in Versailles, France, and mm. just traveling all over Europe. Mm. Um, so this is, you know, this clearly changed my life. It was, you know, bread is not Wonder Bread. Uh, Fol you know, Folgers is not coffee. Coors Light is not beer, right? <laughs> it really and, did, yeah. Yeah. So when I came back, you know, it was like, oh, and, um, you know, architecture is not Safeway and Home Depot. Right. Right. And that's all that was surrounding me where I grew up. Um, so, yeah, it, that really changed my whole outlook on life. Where, uh, where were, so you're, you're based in Versailles. Was it, were you having classes like with, uh, with other classmates, like from Illinois or was it, just you and a bunch of uh, people from all over? No, we were, unfortunately, um, it was just us from Illinois, but we were in a French school. And so those of us who knew, you know, how to speak the language could, could integrate. Hmm. Uh, unfortunately, I was not one of those. <laughs> so I would always have to tag along and eavesdrop. Um, 
But to be honest, we didn't spend that much time. I spent probably less than half of my time over there in France because the program was geared towards traveling and sketching. Hmm. Uh, so we would get credit for bringing back sketchbooks full of notes. And I mean, yeah, I, I get goosebumps just thinking about this because, you know, I would go, I'd take a train to Paris, go sit in a cathedral for a couple of hours and just watch how the sunlight changed the oh, interior, mm -hmm. you know, as it moved across the sky or set and, or how, you could actually see it like there, it was textural. The sun was textural because of, there was enough dust in the air, right? Right. Um, you could smell things. You could, you could feel like it, it might be really warm outside, but really cold inside. You got the echo um, and you would sketch it. And then you would go back and you'd look at this, the picture of that same space in a book, in a history book. And it would, and it, you would, that's when you would realize like, okay, you can't, you can't really understand the architectural experience with, from the book, right? Mm -hmm. You have to be that experience. This, and, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so that was really, really um, significant. But but that that's really the only two things that I took from Illinois, to be honest, <laughs> because uh, it wasn't until I got to ASU when I really started to, I think, understand that architecture was uh, theoretical as much as it was practical. Right. Um, when I got to ASU, there was a lot of young, really brilliant professors who looked at my work and gave it to me straight. You know, they said, you, you really know how to draw well and you really understand symmetry and Beaux-Arts, right? Hmm. But, you don't know how to think hmm. about your work. So I, my two years at ASU was about learning how to think about architecture. Hmm. Um, Who were some of those professors? Jeff Anaba, Jeffrey hmm. Anaba, um, Christine Wolsey, um, Michael Underhill. Hmm. Um, uh, who am I forgetting? Underwood, uh, Max Underwood. Hmm. Um, yeah, some I'm I'm forgetting I'm sure many good ones and and uh, yeah I remember when I submitted my thesis project um, that we I think it kind of it was different than what other people were doing and my professor so my thesis chair said to me like where did you come up with all these theories hmm. and that was the first time it had occurred to me that 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 matters, you know, that, that the thinking part matters. Um, and it, and it, and it gave me kind of a different outlook. You know, it's not just about drawing and representing your thoughts with drawing, but it's also, um, what's the point, what's the right. meaning. And, uh, and so, yeah, I was studying people like, well, Antoine Predock at the time, this is a long time ago, right? So yeah. he was young and hot and yeah. Know, in, in, yeah. And in that, Espe region. especially there. Yeah. Yeah. So I was following him around um, uh, and people like Kev Kenneth Frampton, um, you know, critical regionalism. Right. Uh, Walter Peekler. Uh, I, I, convinced, I convinced my history professor to let me sort of scrap the syllabus and spend the entire semester just studying Louis Kahn. Hmm. 
um, somehow. And that was, that was really great because I, I, I just dove so deep into one architect that I was able to connect my thinking with his thinking. So anyway, this one day I, I woke up at like three or four in the morning, drove from Phoenix to LA so that I could go to the MoMA to look at this exhibit on Louis Kahn. I went from there to La Jolla to mm. visit the SOC, mm -hmm. um, broke in basically because you're not allowed to get into that plaza. Uh, but I convinced this guy, the security guard that, you know, I just traveled all the way from Phoenix. I'm only going to be here for a couple of hours. I got to get back. So I got to spend, and there's another experience, right? Like you go into that courtyard, you've seen it in a book, you've seen the pictures, but when you're standing there, it's totally different, totally different experience. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, I, that's, those are the kinds of things I did. It's just like went places, you know, I, went, I think I got back that same day, you know, it was just like around back hmm. by like midnight, um, because I wanted to, I wanted to see it. I wanted to, you know, to touch it, smell it, really understand it. Yeah, I, that's that's really interesting. The the idea of um, kind of theory within architecture, right? And 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 trying to figure what figure out what that is, and especially when you're able to use grad school as that that chance. And I feel like it's such an a an ephemeral thing, right? That there's mm. so, so many theories uh, circling around and you, if you can grab, if you can understand one and try to grasp onto something, it's yep. good. But, but to, you know, I always felt like, okay, it, like it took me a while between undergrad and grad school to go to grad school. And, and then it was like, well, when I get to grad school, I'm going to figure out what theory is, right? Like what is theory, <laughs> you know? And, yeah. and, and yeah, it was great because we, we, you could take like three different, visiting professors who would come in and it was like okay these guys are going to show me what it is and it's like some of them were like you're just doing this by the seat of your pants like there's mm -hmm. you know there's nothing here and then and then i had i had eisenman who is like extremely concrete in a theory but is so it's so hard to grasp onto right uh um and so yeah it's such a difficult thing within architecture and mm -hmm. so what was so what did you kind of, did you land on something in, at ASU that, that, that you can describe as like when these, when they're saying there's an interesting theory that you have here and, and that you was a germ of a beginning for the, your career? Yes. Um, part of my thesis project was um, me coining, the, coining this phrase form follows experience. Hmm. And it was, it's really stemmed from, again, just wanting to see if one could identify a desired human experience and then a sequence of those experiences and then design around that. Mm -hmm. So design, so the architecture really is the form that then uh, is a catalyst for that experience. And uh, like I said, I think a lot of people were like, yeah, that's a cliche or that's, you know, uh, limiting or that's unrealistic. Um, but, but I went as, you know, went as far as I could with it. And I do think to your point, I do think this many years later, looking back, it has shaped, um, you know, how I think and talk about architecture even today. I just don't necessarily use those ethereal words, you know, right. uh, um, but, but yeah, we, we talk about the voice of the project in our office quite a bit. 
um, that it's not the voice of our client. It's not the voice of the contractor. It's not the voice of us, our consultants. It's all of those voices combined, right? It's, it's like the sun angle is a voice, the, mm. the wind direction, um, the context, the users, the, et cetera. So I think that has sprung from that idea that form follows experience that, you know, this idea that we must first really empathize with the voice of the project, really get to understand the voice of the project before we could design the right solution for that program and for that site. Yeah, that's interesting. So did, did that come from Khan? Did it come from somebody else? Did, is that a total Joe concept? Like who, who's kind of doing that well, you know? Well, that, that's funny. You're reminding me now of that question that my, <laughs> that my thesis chair asked me, you know, she says like, where did this come from? <laughs> I was like, well, I don't, you know, it's just, it's just from all of these, you know, from all of these things, right? Like um, maybe, maybe it was from burning the chipboard models when I was hmm. a kid. Yeah. Uh, you know, maybe it was from, uh, you know, just, the overwhelming joy I felt when I would walk into my Nana's house and the, and the single pane windows would be like covered with condensation because she was making pasta sauce, you know, in an old house and all the windows fogged up and, you know, and it smelled awesome and it was humid, you know? Uh, um, so yeah, I don't, I don't know that there was one moment so much as like a, a series of, experiences that I've had that um, sort of ground me in in wanting to think about architecture as more than a building and and it's you know really does sort of frame an experience and hopefully that experience is one that is empowering you know, yeah is compelling and 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 allows for you to then be a healthier person and a more sort of um, engaged individual. So you, so you had these grand ideas, you graduated and then, and then what'd you do with them? <laughs> they, oh they, my they, God. Didn't all, they didn't get squashed so, all the way up. But. I like, I like how you asked that question because you clearly have interviewed some other people, right? Like, <laughs> and you yourself has, have experienced this. Um, sorry, I keep messing up my screen. Every time I touch my screen, it like changes. Um, so, uh, yeah, here's what happened. They give me this master's degree and I said to myself, okay, I'm anything but a master of architecture. Right. Um, but I have to leave this campus. I can't stay here. Right. Like they weren't offering me a position to stick around. So I said, you know, I got to go somewhere. So I looked at, I looked at Denver, the Denver area, you know, Boulder, Colorado. Uh, and I looked at Seattle. And uh, this is in 1994. And my decision was made almost instantly for me when I went to Boulder because one of the first people, if not the first person that I met in Boulder is now my wife. <laughs> hey, right? I'm staying so, here. So connect the dots, yeah. Right. So, so I, I fell in love, you know, I thought I might fall in love with a place, but I fell in love with a person, <laughs> you know, and then the place. And, um, and so that became my home. Boulder became my home. And at that time, there was no, there were there was no work uh, to be had. 
um, I could hardly even get an interview. So I ended up taking this job with this really goofy boss, uh, doing really goofy work, nothing like what I had studied in school, right? It's a very, very, um, very strange and surreal. Uh, he, he would come to my desk every day and he'd give me a desk crit and we were drafting by hand, which I, which I really did enjoy. Um, and, uh, and he would say the goo, like he would just go on these tangents about politics and shitty clients and right. And he would say these really profound yet super silly things. And then he would say them to me again the next day, as if he didn't tell me that the previous day. Right. So, you know, like he would say, he would say, Joseph, why would you make something difficult when with the least bit of additional effort, you could make it impossible? <laughs> I love and that. I would say, and then he would come back and say that to me the next day. Right. And, and then I would just start because he had learned. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, I would finish the sentences for him and he would, and he would look at me like, how did you know that I was going to say it? <laughs> right. The other one that sticks with me is he said, never shine a fluorescent light on food or a human being. <laughs> huh. so, and, and, oh, and he had this, I had to tell you this story too. He, he had this slide collection because this is before, this is before the internet was really a thing, right? This is when we all had to create our own intranets. Like we had to collect the things that inspired us. Whereas today um, you just, you just go to the screen and you type in whatever you want and you get inspired. So he had this collection of slides. I mean, it was huge and uh, 35 millimeters. Right. And they go in the carousel. Right. And he would have me organize those, you know, uh, put all the images that are about stairs on this slide reel, put all the images about concrete and this slide reel windows, doors, you know, and, <clears throat> And then he would go into this room and he would pick the carousel off the shelf, put it in the, and, and watch his own pictures looking for inspiration. And then he'd yell, like, get in here, you know? And, and, uh, and then he would tell me a story about this picture he took of this door, right? And it was awesome. I mean, it really was, it really was inspiring for me to see that this guy was being inspired by the world around him in this really unique way. And, uh, and then he would do his flip out thing. Like, he, you know, he would, if one of the slides was out of order, like if, it, if there was like a window slide and a door carousel, <laughs> he would take it out, throw it across the room, you know, yell some ex expletive and sometimes storm out. Um, and, uh, and then when we were done, he would, you know, there'd be like four or five slides on the ground. And he would usually say, just throw those away. <laughs> And I would, I would take them home. I would add them to my collection. Yeah. Right? So uh, what, they were all his projects or they were, they were No, yeah. no, no, not his work okay. at all. It was, it was mostly like, um, you know, uh, traveling through, like things I did, traveling through Europe, right. traveling and taking photos of special things. And um, so what did, and then, what did all that kind of weirdness manifest itself into in the work? And what, what was uh, his name, by the way? Yeah. You know, um, the name of the company was Habitat Design Group, hmm. and he's no longer with us. His name was Bob. Um, boy, I'm not even remembering his last name. Uh, see how long ago this was? Um, what it led to was me wanting to leave Boulder, I'll be honest. Hmm. 
I really felt like Boulder was not like the world was revolving, but I was standing still kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, Deva, my wife, not yet my wife, but, you know, seemed to be, um, she, she also was itching to get out of Boulder. She wanted to come down and, and, um, get a degree in, in journalism. And so we moved to Denver together. Uh, and I picked up a, I picked up a job at Michael Brendel Architects, hmm. which later became Brendel APV. And um, uh, that was, you know, that's where I cut my teeth. That's where I was at least starting to get back into the things I enjoyed. Um, I, I, uh, I met a lot of great people there because Michael was, um, he was doing good work at that time. Um, I learned a lot from him. He, he, he was kind of like a Jedi when it came to, um, getting his clients to think differently. <laughs> and I really fed off of that. And, um, and I, I, yeah, I just kind of took it full advantage of being there. And I asked him if I could, if I could take everybody's time one hour per week to just talk about architecture. And he, uh, I think kind of begrudgingly allowed for that. And, and so it was called uh, DCOM design communication. Hmm. And we would talk once a week and we, we compiled so much information that I, I seriously someday want to write a book. I like, I want to take my notes and put it into a book and publish it because um, there were a lot of really sharp people there at that time. And we were, uh, we were asking intelligent questions about our profession and, and a lot of these people have gone on to start their own companies, you know, or become principals at other companies. Like, so you got Tom Gallagher is at Simple Brown. Mm. Ta Tanya Salgado started Handprint. Oh, yeah. Chris Davis, boss. Mm. Rob Forslund has his own thing going. Kathy Bellum's at AMD. So, and that's just a few, right? There's just wow. a lot of people that were there for, you know, a few years that crossed paths. A couple of people that work at Studio Trope, I worked with at Brendel's office. Um, for example. So, uh, yeah, that, that was, that was where I learned how to put a building together, how to get it built, how to, you know, um, you know, how to, uh, do more than perhaps what the client is expecting, you know, take it further. What uh, kind of, what kind of projects were, were you working on there? What did he, what did he Mostly, do? mostly public sector. And for me, it was mostly libraries. Oh, okay. which is yeah. how I fell in love with libraries. Um, he sent me to a library conference in 1998 and, and that was in Atlanta. And I came back from that conference and, you know, I, th I think he, he wasn't expecting me to be coming back charged up right? <laughs> to spend, to spend a weekend with however many thousands of librarians, librarians, you know, right. Cra crazy um, parties. But I, yeah, I came back. I was like, okay, these people hate architects. Mm. we are not designing libraries that work for these people. Right. And they have a, they have a great mission, right? What are we doing wrong? You know, and what we were doing wrong is we were designing them for books. We were designing buildings for books mm. instead of for people. Um, and so anyway, I came back really charged up and can you continue to do libraries with Michael? And then when we started studio trope, you know, that was one of our focus uh, markets. So how did that, so how did that come about? How did Studio Trope come about? Mm. Well, so I need to tell you a little bit more about Deva then because we started it together. Mm. Um, 
Where, where was she at? What was she doing when you were with Michael? Uh, getting a degree in journalism oh, okay. and early childhood education. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah. She's always reinventing herself. <laughs> yeah. And she just did that recently. Um, got a degree, a, a master's in, in organizational leadership. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> oh, in fact, let me tell you a funny story about her reinventing herself. So, so I'm working for Brendel and I come home to our small apartment on Capitol Hill and, and she says to me, Oh, something really exciting happened today. I got a job at AMD. <laughs> and I said, and at the time she was working probably for like state parks or something. Yeah. Doing, doing some marketing and, or maybe she was at the Montessori school. I forget, but I said, that's hilarious. Cause there's an architecture firm called AMD. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, it's and she, and she yeah. says, she's like, yeah, that's the one. And I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> You know, and she says, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to help them with their marketing materials and, you know, be in it. I'm going to be in the administrative department for a while um, and see if, you know, because she really I mean. She just when I graduated and met her, I, you know, all I wanted to talk about probably was architecture. Right. And somehow she was, a, you know, was was there to listen like this is something that interested her as well. Mm -hmm. And so. Um, so that's, it didn't surprise me that she migrated into an architecture firm. Um, but it, it was surprising to, to me that I didn't even know she was interviewing there. Right. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, so she worked at AMD for, I don't know how long and not probably terribly long. Um, and then went to AR7. Do you remember AR7? Oh yeah. Yeah. George, George Hoover. So, uh, probably was there for a couple of years doing marketing for them. And then, uh, and then she went to uh, Gensler hmm. and was doing graphic design and marketing there uh, and making some great connections with folks. And then we, and then we got pregnant. She got pregnant with our first child. Uh, so she's home. This is 2003. She's home on maternity leave. And that's when it hit us, right? That's when it was like, because I think, you know, what was going on in my life at the time was, you know, I, my seven year tenure at Brendel's was sort of coming to a head where I felt like I learned everything I possibly could. Uh, I was also teaching at the time. Oh, you know, right. I, was, I was trying to get back into more of the theory. So I was doing, David was part of this too. Uh, we were doing competitions on the side, like uh, the Oslo Opera House, the yeah. Grand Egyptian Museum. Uh, we sort of like tricked out our basement in our bungalow to become a studio we had people come over um we had people from overseas actually just like living in our basement working on these competitions um and never won of course uh or wouldn't be here in denver probably if we had but um so i'm doing that and she's doing you know and, and so we had this conversation where like you know okay i need to leave brendel's office i need to go somewhere else because I'm not sure anymore if this line that I'm drawing is a line that I'm drawing because it's what I think my boss wants mm -hmm. or if it's what's right for the project. And that's no good, right? So I need to go work somewhere where I know that this line I'm drawing is because it's what's best for the project. And, and we just started chatting and we're like, well, that doesn't necessarily mean you need to go to another firm, right? 
Um, so yeah, we did the crazy. We, we decided we could start our own company. <laughs> and, uh, and so we did. And how, how, how old was your kid when you started? Six months. Six months. Nice. Yeah. That's how I always know like... how old our company is because <laughs> however old my daughter is, right? my daughter's 17. So we've been in business for 17 years. So did you have a, did you have a project lined up? You just, you just quit and went for it or? No, we did not have a project lined up. Um, in fact, we used to know exactly how many days it took us to get that first commission. I think it was like 252 days. Really? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Was, was Davis still working or? No. You no, you both just, you just had no. some savings and I'm always not really by this. <laughs> <laughs> not really. Okay. I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll ask what I asked Chad Mitchell. How'd you eat? Yeah. That's, that's mm -hmm. what I always wonder. <laughs> yeah. Well, very differently than we do today. Um, <laughs> You know, I think we we probably refinanced the house hmm. to get through that first year or two. Um, and we just lived, you know, very, really modest. I mean, at that time, you know, you're a newborn kid, like that's all you want to do anyway, just stay home and spend time with your kids. So, right. I, uh, I know it was the first five years were really difficult for Deva more so than me because you know, we had a second child and here she wanted to grow the graphic design side of our company, but you know, she also wants to be the best mom ever. Right. And um, somehow that's easier for the guy to just, yeah. you know, pretend to be the best dad ever and, you know, not be around or help them. <laughs> if I can just be good. Yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. Fine. Yeah. Right. Uh, so the architecture side took off, right. The graphic design side, not so much. Um, but uh so 252 yeah. days and what was that what was that first it was a residence it was a residence on 7th avenue parkway a pop top on a on a historic like french revival home and i remember i went to the landmark preservation commission with my sketch and she's this woman there said uh it was christy Murata. i'll never forget she's an awesome person she looked at the sketch and she's like she's like wow if you had told me over the phone you were going to pop the top on this house, I would have said no way it would ever be approved. But I think you got something here. You know, mm. I think I think this might work. Um, and so we did a number of houses in resident in historic districts for years, um, and uh, and that's how, kind of how we we you know paid for food, as you say, yeah. while we while we worked hard to to get back into the public sector. Um, were you able to kind of pick up that thread from grad school again after those nine years or whatever? I mean, I think like I, when you were talking about the Grand Egyptian and the Oslo, like I, I was I was scrolling through your website last night and it's like, especially that Grand Egyptian, it's such a beautiful project and like just such a, um, yeah, it's like, it, it, it's, it's well thought through and very uh, layered and, um, but yeah, it seems they hit that time in a really good way of kind of like what OMA was doing a little bit in Shumi and like, especially then with like the Oslo Opera House, like model shots, just that the ephemeral light that you're catching. And um, was that was that some of the things that she was picking up with the with the pop top? Were you able to kind of bring that thread from grad school and those projects? in? You know, to, to be honest, I think it was more of what I learned in Illinois, which is how to draw well, hmm. you know, how to how to create the right proportion um how to how to blend things together you know contextually so that they look like they were always that way 
I think it had very little to do with theory. Um, and to be honest, I feel like that's, you're starting to talk about my entire career in a nutshell where I'm, I've, I'm always, I've always just trying to be, to get back to the origin, mm -hmm. but it's got a long road back. Mm -hmm. Um, at least the path that I chose. Um, I, you know, I, I think it's, um, it, it's, uh, it's not necessarily where I would choose to spend all of my time as a, you know, as a designer, but, um, um, but it, it does, uh, it does allow me to be authentic. You know, it, it does allow me to, to not have to wonder if this line I'm drawing is for somebody other than the project itself, you know? Um, uh, so I, yeah, I, I, I it, it is something I struggle with quite a bit. It's the, it's that contradiction. Um, you know, in, are we in fact achieving our ideals at Studio Trope or are we limited too much by sort of the, the other forces, the circumstantial um, forces that are inflicted, right? Because uh, let's face it, there are rules, <laughs> right. right? It's not all poetry, it's mostly science. And, um, and so, yeah, that is definitely something I, I do struggle with. Well, I, yeah, I think that's always interesting of, of what is behind the curtain of, of most firms, like the firms that we look up to, right? Like I, I've been at, I've been starting to ask people what percentage of your projects are on your website, you know, like how many of those projects do you, you just do to, to pay the bills? And then are you able to still keep your, the soul of your ideas enough to be able to do a few of those a year or, or whatever, you know, or, or do you just get sucked to suck to one side? You know, I know it's a, a thing that changes per firm, but it has to be something as a principle you struggle with. Yeah, for sure. I think you do have to have a side also, right? Everybody does. Um, just to keep you sane, like what are the things you're most passionate about? Make sure you work that into your week. Uh, even if it's not what pays the bills. Mm -hmm. um, I think uh, um, that's no different for whether you run the company uh, or you're, you know, working for a company. Um, I, I remember when we went to try to get our first public sector contract, it was an on-call with the city and county of Denver. We went in and we're totally qualified, of course, because I had the same resume that I had when I worked for Brendel, right? It's mm -hmm. no different. <laughs> I was qualified when I worked for Brendel, <laughs> should be qualified now, right? Uh, but, but what we were told was, come back in five years, right? Mm -hmm. Like, we want to make sure you're an actually a company, like we want to right now we don't want to take a chance and so that's what a lot of it is when you're starting a when you're starting a business in this profession particularly if you want to do public sector work the first five years are just to prove to people that you're serious about it you know and then the doors start to open up you know we did go back and we did get the contract and once we had the contract we did start getting phone calls to do work and then you, one leads to another and smaller leads to bigger and um and you do start to have a little bit more control over the type of work that you take. Yeah. So you, yeah, you had the, you had the, you had the kind of pop tops, you had the residential, and then how did you start getting into back into the libraries? And was that the, after the five year kind of thing? Um, 
I think it was within the first five years. Yeah, we, you know, knocked on every door. We we ended up over at, um, you know, like schools have libraries too, right? So we kind of like came in through the back door. We um, we would pursue, pro we would go up against big firms in town and pursue work. David would put together a killer proposal. Sometimes we didn't even get shortlisted. Uh, and then eventually you win, you know? Um, and and then you show people what you can do and, uh, and then you're invited back. But yeah, I think the first five to seven years, no doubt. I mean, if you do interview Deva, you're gonna hear that. <laughs> there was a lot of me convincing her just to stick around, like, come on, like two more years. Yeah, just two yeah. years. She, right. she would say to me, she would say, you know, this was your idea. I'm like, what? <laughs> like, we started Studio Trope together. <laughs> I don't remember this being my idea, you know, uh, yeah. it was always my idea when it was, when things were going horribly wrong. Uh, it's, a, it's a good selective memory. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, I think it's interesting, the name of Studio Trope, like when I, when I first met you and I went to the office, it was right after I went out of grad school pretty much. And, and Trope was such a hot word at the time. It was, oh, really? it was the way that you could, uh, sound smart and put somebody down and be like, man, they're, they're just, they're, all they're doing is just a bunch of tropes. That's just, Oh, that's such oh, a trope. Boy. And this is a trope. Uh, you know, but, but I, I look at your website and I think it's, it's, it's uh, so unique. Like I, I feel like architecture websites kind of you fall along like two kind of veins usually or three. And I think yours is interesting where it doesn't really fall in those lanes and it, it's this, it's this kind of mix, kind of this contradiction, like you're talking about, where it's, mm -hmm. it's very structured, uh, but then it has this sort of like nice messiness in a way to it. Uh, this, this kind of, um, kind of where you, where you discover things. Like it was like accidentally clicking on things and like the, the, the yeah, like the voice thing popped up instead of mm -hmm. all the project images or, mm -hmm. and then I think like when you do get into your projects, I, I have a I have a hard time respecting architecture firms that don't have any drawings on their website where it's all just built pictures. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. you guys probably have the most kind of process work and process pictures of mm -hmm. any Denver website I've seen. And especially where just it's so many different kind of styles and methods of drawing and process and models mm -hmm. and things like that. But it all has this really... Uh, great energy I think that's coming from it and I think that's what I kind of get from that website where it's it is a structured kind of thing but then it has this like unexpected energy that that comes out in a nice way um and so how did you did you have like it's interesting having a partner from the beginning as a graphic designer like did you have that vision of kind of um where you would take it um and what the firm was about from the beginning how much has that changed well, remember, we had 252 days to think about it. <laughs> That's true. <right? laughs> so, so while we were waiting for the phone to ring, Deva and I spent a great deal of time designing our firm. Mm. You know, uh, so in a way, that was priceless. You know, it's uh, something that, you know, we wouldn't have decided to do, but we had to do it. And looking back, I, you know, I'm not sure where we, where we would be today without having that spent that time. Um, I'm seeing my buddy, Jeff King from Seattle 
is joining here and he needs a shout out because he, uh, well, in fact, I want him to respond to your comment about trope because he uh, co-authored the name of our company. Oh, really? Yeah. Deva <laughs> and I were sitting in his family room in Seattle when we were getting serious about starting a new company. And, and so we just said, all right, let's, let's find it. Let's pick a name. Right. And so we, we came up with that name with him, um, you know, him asking us some really intelligent questions and then us looking through the, you know, the, the, the source. And uh, the idea was, you know, studio, because of what I mentioned earlier, like just this really strong belief in the richness of a studio environment and what that does for a project. And then trope was literally to turn. It was like the Latin mm. term to turn um, and, and to be figural rather than literal. So, mm. uh, so the tagline is every project starts with an idea. Studio trope is what gives life and significance to that idea. Mm. It tur turns an ordinary thing into an extraordinary architectural experience. That's the idea. Um, now, whether we're doing that or not is for anybody to, to judge, right? But that, the idea is that, yeah, it's not, it's not meant to be easy. It's not meant to be something that you can capture with a photograph. Um, it's really not even meant to be a thing. Studio Trope's not a proper name. We don't capitalize it. It's a verb, really. It's an mm. act. It's a thing that we all try to do, um, which is to bring to the surface that which is buried you know, that which is kind of uh, nobody sees, but we can somehow hear it. Like if we listen to the project, the project voice, then it will, sh it will re reveal itself. Um, and so I do think that that does lead to some eclectic work. And as we grow and we continue to hire diverse people, you know, it's going to lead to even more diversity of the work, which is going to be great. Um, you know, we don't want to narrowly become an architectural firm. We want to broaden and become a design firm. Uh, and in fact, I remember early on, people kept wanting to call us Studio Trope Architects. Hmm. Nobody liked the fact that we were just called Studio Trope. Hmm. Like, what's Studio Trope? What is that? Do they like make greeting cards, right? Uh, and so we're like, no, you cannot call us Studio Trope Architects. And so we ended up going with Studio Trope Design Collective eventually. We changed it. Um, we added a interior design principle and said, okay, now we're a collective, right? We have three yeah. different studios. Uh, and I hope to, you know, expand on that. Yeah, I, I like that word a lot, the, the collective. And um, being in your space, it also feels like that. Like your space mm. has that same kind of energy, um, just a long, narrow space with a bunch of, with open desks, st stuff everywhere. Mm -hmm. like inspiration mm -hmm. everywhere yeah. messy oh, yeah messy and opens out to the outdoors you know on the side and yeah. um yeah i like that talk talk just a little bit more about the the idea of voice like i wrote i was i was looking at that um and some of your some of these titles are like exhale earth disguise stream of serendipity <laughs> preventative <laughs> towers volley mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. what talk talk if you can a little bit about the process of kind of discovering those what's that what's that like yeah so i think this actually does also stem from my thesis project it, this idea that the the architect first has to become the user before um 
you know, that person can start to do any architecting to use your term, right? <laughs> uh, so I picked this up along the way somewhere that there's three clients on every project. There's the client who pays you. There's a client inside you. <laughs> and then there's the client you'll never meet. <laughs> and I think it's the one you'll never meet that is, comes closest to this idea of a voice of a project, right? It's you're designing for, um, you're, you're designing in re in response to the, all these forces that are acting on this so-called project. And someday someone you don't know will happen upon this arc, you know, and have an architectural experience and it ought to be one that was desired, you know? So yeah, we do have a lot of kind of tick trip uh, tricks as to how we go about uncovering the voice. Um, some of our clients dig it. Uh, some of our clients, not so much, you know, they want to just get to brass tacks and see the floor plan. So we're just, um, you know, uh, figuring it out as we go, to be honest, you know, I think when our values align with our clients, things go really well. Results are, you know, everybody's happy. Uh, when there is not that value alignment, we usually have to let go, you know, we usually have to say, okay, this one's not about the voice, right? This one, this one is just about, the, we need three classrooms <sighs> by August. Right. So what, what project do you think that was pretty successful in, like where you were able to put forward your process and identify the voice in it and it came through in a strong way? Uh, it's a lot of them, you know, um, I think, I think the Corky Gonzalez library hmm. um, really does have a voice of its own mm -hmm. um, and it's, and it's unique enough that, and I shouldn't say unique, I should say it's broad enough that everybody can sort of walk away with their own interpretation that works for them. Um, we just did a project up at NIST that is, a, I think does well to respond to the, the scientific theories and objectives of that laboratory and the architecture sort of showcases that on the outside in a way that, again, if you showed up there and had lunch underneath this canopy, um, you don't, you, you don't necessarily need to know the, the full story behind why the canopy, why the canopy is so funky and right. And why the light is doing what it's doing on your, on your plate, but you'll, you still will have, um, a connection with that place that is unique to that, to their mission and not an experience that you will have anywhere else. Right. And so it's projects like that. I think that are successful. The ones where, you know, the, the story is connecting uh, the experience to the place and it's not, it's distinctive. It's not something you're going to ever experience again anywhere else. Right. Huh. So that's a good moment. What's been your lowest moment within your career? Oh man. Lowest, the lows are the, you know, when you don't get that project and we've had very few layoffs over the year. We're 17 years in we've had very few layoffs luckily, but yeah, my lowest moment was early on at studio trope when, when we had to lay off, um, some folks, um, 
because we didn't get work, you know, uh, that's just heart wrenching. And, and in fact, I remember the, very specifically when we got a phone call for a library that we did not win, the client themselves were, they were emotionally shake, you know, shook by this because I, I must have made it pretty obvious we needed <laughs> to work, right? <laughs> um, it's a good, usually a good strategy, right? Pull yeah, the like they, they were, she was teared up and she, you know, and I said, look, it's not your fault, you know, it, this is life. Um, and you do, you just have to move on. And I think we learn from those mistakes, right? We like Studio Trope is a much more stable company today. Like that, that was SDC 1.0, right? Where we didn't have the bank to keep people around if we didn't get the work. Uh, you know, now we're SDC 3.2. Hmm. Uh, we're, we're about to be 4.0. Something good's about to launch. Hmm. Uh, and we're a much different company now. But that's definitely, yeah, my low point for sure. Does that just come from being able to build up that bank of projects and the bank of, uh, of capital that, that allows you to stay more stable and that reputation yeah. or yeah. 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 You get smarter, you know, you don't spend every dollar you make hmm. like, you know, yeah, we do need new desks, but you know what? I also need you. Hmm. Right. So like, let's just build our own desks and then we can hang on to all these great people, uh, you know, and put some money away the rainy day fund. Right. Right. Cause that really has to be key. Right. Especially with the kind of way you work is, is holding on to that, that those people and that group and cultivating it. And um, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Especially with, within your three different um, uh, studios or whatever. Yeah. I mean, yeah. 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 So what, so have you had, have you been, have you been on the mountaintop? Have you, have you had that mountaintop best career moment? that um no probably not i i think it, you know it's the high moments are the opposite of the one i just described it's when you get the phone call and they choose you right when a client chooses you i mean the reason i think it feels extra good for us at studio trope is because we show our true colors when we submit our proposals they're a little quirky um we don't pull any punches we're not trying to tell them what they want to hear, right? Like, this is who we are. And we do the same thing at an interview. Like when we get to the interview, I've been told like there's four people being interviewed, three were similar, you were like out there, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> and either that means we came in first or last, yeah, uh, usually. Right. usually. Um, and we have to be happy with both because if, if we're not a good fit, we're not a good fit. Uh, but when we are a good fit, I mean, it feels really good, right? Like when, you're, when your values align with, the value of the client right at right out of the gate because they selected you based on who you are that's a pretty damn good feeling yeah and it took many many years to for that to start happening more consistently um but yeah those are the high moments yeah so what's you know what's next you know you, you mentioned 4.0 I, I won't make <laughs> yeah. you do a spoiler here but uh <laughs> the, how many how many libraries can we have you know in, in denver <laughs> you know there's more libraries on the planet than there are mcdonald's restaurants really okay nice so never never enough yeah uh, but no we don't want to become known as the library architects really we want to be you know community driven projects projects with a good story that make a difference um you know what's next for me i think i like i said i'm trying to i'm still trying to get back to the origin right 
you know, get, get the company kind of running itself and then, you know, get, get cracking on the things that I know are meaningful to me. And I, I actually joked with some of my colleagues back from grad school who I'm reacquainting with lately and asked, would they be interested in all of us dusting off our thesis projects, banding together and going and working on them? Like, like mm. let's pick one, let's go build it, right? Mm. Like, let's develop it ourselves because we know we believe in that project, right? right? Um, I don't know that that would ever happen, but that's a dream, right? That one can have. And I think in the near, more in the near future, it's, uh, yeah, SDC 4.0, we're adding on to our office over oh, on really? Wilton Street. Yeah. And I've been talking with some folks at the College of Architecture and Planning. I'm interested in a blending together the practice theory as much as possible, um, creating a space in our office for that to happen and getting back into academic, you know, academia as much as possible. Interesting. Huh. Yeah. Cool. And then I well, told my daughter, the one who keeps coming in here to fix my screen, uh, I, I told her, you know, because she's, she's like laser focused on becoming a filmmaker hmm. and going to L.A. And I told her, I want to come work for her. That's what <laughs> my, in my future, I see myself as an employee, uh, you know, working on films with her, put me to work. <laughs> nice. That, I like that. That's like the opposite of or a different way of, of taking care of your parents when they get old, you know, like having to find a job. For them. <laughs> That's right. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, cool, man. Well, you know, I, I just really appreciate you. And, uh, you know, you were one of the first people I kind of searched out when I, when I moved to Denver and you were very gracious and meeting with me and, and have kept meeting with me and I can always rely on you for uh, just stellar point on, uh, reviews at CU and in my studios and uh yeah I, I appreciate your friendship and just the uh the great summer parties that you throw you guys throw out there <laughs> on the patio um thanks for coming on here I remember there's multiple times like a few years ago where we'd get lunch and I you'd start telling a story I'd be like no wait stop don't tell that whole thing because one day I'm going to make a podcast and I'm going to have you on <laughs> and I don't want to hear the whole thing yet so uh -huh. it's we're fi we're finally here only like okay. five years later well now it's over yeah it's now it's over. yeah yeah right yeah so well i appreciate you man i really i really do thanks for reaching out to me because uh it's good to reflect i mean i i think when you reached out to me i said i don't know why anyone would want to listen to my story for an hour you know uh but i don't you know it's not about them right it's a like for me this was a very selfish kind of in, in, endeavor of like reflecting how did I get here? Where am I yeah. going? Yeah. Yeah. I so love thank I mean, you. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, and it's, I love it because I, I get that from almost every guest where they're saying, you know, I haven't thought of this. I haven't thought of that no. before. And, and then, and for me, it's extremely selfish because I'm just trying to learn from all you guys and uh, take your secrets. So thank you. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, cool, man. Thanks for coming on. Yeah. Have thank you. <laughs> yeah, you ya. too. See ya. Bye. Thanks for listening to this week's show. You can visit architect-ing.com to see images from this week's guest. And please rate and review the show wherever you listen on Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, or Anchor. 
Have a great week and continue to reach out. Thanks. This is Sarah Hubbard, host of You and Me Kid, a podcast about starting and raising a family on your own. We just launched season two, and I'm speaking with single moms, those still considering, and experts in relevant fields to give you a real sense of what the day-to-day experience of solo parenting looks and feels like. Plus, this season, I've partnered with California Cryobank, the number one sperm bank in the U.S. So wherever you are in the process, this podcast provides some support, humor, and helpful information. Listen to You and Me Kid wherever you get your podcasts.